We're turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke. And what we're doing is we're seeing our Savior Jesus. Of course, Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He presents him as the one who has come to be our substitute and sacrifice. He came to seek and save those who are lost. Well, how did he do that? Well, he became a perfect man. He came to this earth and he was able to die in our place and pay for the sins of the world. Now, this morning, as we continue the study, we're seeing the angel Gabriel. It's a very famous passage. In fact, most of us know it. Anytime you think of a Christmas story, This passage is always read, of course, in the part in chapter 2 is always read. We see this morning the angel Gabriel comes to this young girl. Her name is Mary. He tells her she's going to have a son, and the son will be the savior of the world and the king of Israel. Now, we saw last time that the same angel, Gabriel, went to Zacharias, who was an older man, older priest, and he told him he was going to have a son who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Well, it's very powerful. We see this morning Gabriel is going to complete his mission. And the question would be for all of us, how, do you, how would you respond if this happened to you? You know, Zacharias was an older man, and he didn't really believe the message. In fact, when it happened, he turned to the angel and said, how do I know this is going to happen because I'm an old man and my wife is old? He didn't believe. You realize that Mary could have been as young as 14 years old. She's probably not older than 18 Because in that day and time, the Jewish girls were married between 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, all in there. She could be as young as 14. There she is. How would you respond if an angel came to you? What's going to be her response to this announcement? We would be excited as we see God's word, in fact, as he brings his plan of salvation to mankind. Well, you know, usually when you start thinking about having a baby, people say, oh, having a baby, that's really joy and excitement. As a pastor here all these years, there have been many many times I've seen families come to me and say, guess what? We're going to have a baby. And, you know, that's always so fun. But think about this passage. Now, in this remote village, northern Israel, an angel visits this young girl with good news. She's going to have a baby. There's a couple of problems, though. Think about it this way. She's not married. And the man she's engaged to marry is not the father of the baby. How would you respond to that good news? Well, this morning we're going to see the famous passage where Gabriel comes to Mary telling her she'll be the mother of the Savior of the world. She is a remarkable young woman, and the Scripture has a lot to say about her. We're going to see more about her even next week when she goes and visits Elizabeth. But this morning, how is Mary going to respond to all this that she realizes her son is going to be the Savior? And there's a lot in this passage we want to gain from God's Word. Well, let's begin. Let's see what goes on. And we've been seeing the Gospel of Luke. And remember, Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. We said at the beginning that the four Gospels give us the four fulfillments of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Matthew shows him as the king. Mark shows him as the servant. Luke shows him as the perfect man. And John shows him as God. When we look at the Gospel of Luke, there's just so much here. We see he's our substitute and sacrifice. He is the perfect man to die in our place. We see the preparation for the Messiah. All the events and the people in these first two chapters, basically, that we're seeing deal around the birth of the Messiah. And our goal from this study is this. In fact, it's the goal any time we study the Bible, but the goal really in this study of the Gospel of Luke is that we would see our Savior, that we would know Him, that we would love Him. Now you say, well, I know Jesus already. Well, as Paul wrote, he says, I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. We want to know Him more than just saying, I know about Him. We want to know Him. And so as we go through the Gospel of Luke and we see our Savior, may we love Him, may we know Him, may we know all that He has done for us and who He is. 
Well, let's see this passage. Last time the angel Gabriel came to the older man. He was a priest. If you remember, it was his time to come into the temple, or actually to come serve. And that day lots were chosen, and he got to go into the holy place. The only time in his whole life he got to go there. He went into the holy place with incense. He was going to burn the incense. He was. The people were waiting outside for him to do that. And while he was in there, the angel Gabriel stood beside the altar and told him, he said, your prayers have been answered. They'd been praying for a son. They were older. They were past the age they could ever have children. But they had always prayed for a son. And the angel Gabriel says, your prayer has been answered. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. And what's so going to be great about him, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to go before the Messiah. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to turn the people back to God. And, of course, we saw that Zacharias went, I don't know how this is going to happen because I'm old and my wife's old. He didn't believe it. And if you remember that Gabriel said to him, okay, because you did not believe what I tell you. He says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Don't you know who I am? And I'm telling you the truth. Well, because you didn't believe me, you won't be able to speak until all this comes to pass. Best we can tell from last week is that he no longer, from that moment on, could not say, speak, or hear. Because when he came out, he couldn't say anything. And later on, as you look over in chapter, like 60, verses 61, 62, 63 over there, you see that they have to make signs to him. He can't hear and he can't speak. All because he didn't believe. And that's a sign. Well, notice how God keeps his word. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 24. After these days, after Zacharias got doing his, his work in the temple, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. As I told you that in that day and time when a woman didn't have children, it was, it was a disgrace. They, some people would look at her and sometimes say, I wonder what's wrong. There was nothing wrong. That was God's plan. But she says, God has taken away this disgrace. He has shown me my favor because now I'm going to have a baby even though I'm so old. They were way past the time to have children. Now notice how the next verse begins. This is our verse this morning. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. The sixth month of what? The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. See, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, Elizabeth is already six months pregnant. John the Baptist is going to be six months older than Jesus. You may never have thought of that. In fact, you remember John the Baptist's ministry. We'll see it in the gospel. He's out in the wilderness and he's got this, this lot of hair and he's got this big cloak on and he's eating locusts and wild honey and all these people are coming out to see him. How did you picture him? You picture him as an old man? He's 30 years old. That's a young man to me, right? For some of you, 30 seems old. For some of us, 30 seems young. He's a young man. He's six months older than Jesus. And so in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, this angel, of course, angel, uh, very powerful beings. We saw last time they're servants of God. They're both good angels and bad angels. The bad angels we call demons. Uh, Hebrews 1.14 says that angels are sent to serve those who inherit salvation. They're angels that help us. We don't even know about it. There's a spiritual aspect that we have no clue of. That's why the Bible says we wrestle not, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places. There are angels in this room. We talked about it last week. We just can't see them. They don't make themselves known. And so there's this angel, Gabriel, 
who comes, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now the name Gabriel, we're not sure, it either means God is strength of God or champion of God. This is the same angel that 600 years earlier had come to Daniel and told him of future events. Now he's sent from God to carry out his plan. Now he says he came uh, from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now Nazareth is a little city. The nation of Israel is divided into three parts. If you get a map and look in the Bible map, you can get and look at it. The northern part is called Galilee. The middle part is called Samaria. And the southern part is called Judea. Nazareth is in the northern part of Galilee. In fact, there's the Sea of Galilee. That's why it's called Galilee up there. Nazareth is only 14 miles from the Sea of Galilee. Now, we think about Nazareth, and it's famous to us, because we say, Nazareth, that's where Jesus grew up. At the time that Jesus lived, Nazareth was nothing. We'd tell you it was podunk. It was little nothing. Nobody even. In fact, when somebody said something about Jesus of Nazareth, remember what one guy said? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth's a little bitty town. It's nothing. If Jesus hadn't grown up there, we'd have never heard of it. But here's this angel going to Mary... To into this girl and into a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Now, living in this city is this young couple named Joseph and Mary. They're engaged to be married. Jesus grew up in this town. A Roman garrison was nearby. Notice the next verse. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Luke wants us to know right off that this woman is a virgin. The Greek word for virgin is parthenos. It means someone who's never had sexual relations. You've heard of the Parthenon in Greece. That was named after the virgins. There were the temple virgins there. That's why it was called the Parthenon. This Greek word means that she had never had sexual relations to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, it goes on to say that he was a descendant of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I want you to understand in that day and time that a lot of times in in villages, a little town like Nazareth, there would have been a matchmaker. There would have been a woman who her her love of her life was to match up people. And she would see people and she would go to the daddies of these children and say, I think that son would be good for your daughter. I think, you know, and they match it up. Sometimes as they were growing up, 14, 15 years old, sometimes the, the, the boys and the girls would look at each other and, and then she might go to her daddy or he might go to his daddy and say, Daddy, I, I really would like her. I would like her. And what would happen oftentimes is the two daddies would come together and they'd make a deal. And then it was the responsibility of the son. So one day Joseph came to Mary's house and he brought uh, some money, a little amount of money. It was called the dowry. And he had to give that to her daddy. And so he came in and he gave the money to her daddy. And then in that room that day, there was the table, and on the table were two, two glasses and the wine. And Joseph would wait till Mary came in the room, and then he would pour two glasses of wine. If Mary picked up one of the glasses and drank it, then he would pick it up and drink it, and she's saying, I will marry you. If she goes out of the room, that's a bad sign, okay? <laughs> we know that what happened was so great because she picked it up and drank it. And she was saying to him, I will come under your protection. And then he said something like this. In my father's house, there's a lot of rooms. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And when I get it ready, I'll come back and get you. Does that sound familiar? 
See, what he would do is he would go back in about a year. They were engaged to be married right then, and the only way you could break the engagement was the divorce. They were engaged right then. He goes back to his home, goes back to his dad's house, and builds a room on for he and his wife. They didn't have separate places. He actually said to her, I'm going to go get everything ready, and when I get everything ready, I'll come back to get you. That's what Jesus says to us, because, see, we're the bride of Christ. Jesus said in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it wasn't that way, I told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I get it ready, what's he going to do? He's going to come back and get us. That's the picture. That's why that's such a great picture in John. When Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it wasn't that way, I told you. I'm going to go prepare a place and get you. I'm going to come back. They knew exactly what he was saying. Well, Joseph and Mary are engaged. This is great. It says she was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. Now, we know who David is. David is the king of Israel. Remember the great king? And there was a promise to David that one of his descendants would be the Messiah, the king. Well, if you start chasing it all the way down, Joseph could say, hey, uh, my, my relative was David. I'm a descendant of King David. He could even say, you know, if we were in power, who knows, I might even be king. Now, they hadn't been in power for a long time, ever since the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians, the Greco-Macedonians and the Romans have controlled them. So they hadn't been a king in Israel for a long time. But he was a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, what, what Luke is doing, he's saying, I'm going to make sure you get all the information. There's the angel, there's Mary, she's a virgin, there's Joseph, he's a descendant of David. All this ties together. Now, realize all this fits. This is all the promises that God made. First of all, he said that the virgin would have a son, Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin said, will be a child and bring forth a son. And then there was the promise in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17, that there would be the descendant of David who would be the Messiah. All he's doing is working all this out so it comes together. Now notice, the angel appears. Now what would you do if you were 14, 15 years old and this powerful being suddenly appeared in your house with you? Notice. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, the word greetings literally means rejoice. He's saying rejoice, favored one. He's coming to give her news that, will, that she will not only rejoice in, but the whole world will rejoice. See, it's good news of great joy to all people. He calls her favored one, which literally in the Greek could be translated, having been endowed with grace. He's saying you're getting the grace of God. Greetings, rejoice, the one who has the grace of God, the Lord is with you. Think about the grace of God. Now, some people say things like, I want what's fair. When, you, when it comes to dealing with God, you do not want what's fair. You do not want the justice of God. Because the justice of God is you'll be separated because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and we owe God death. We do not want the justice of God. We want the grace and mercy and love of God. And that's how he deals with us. He poured out his justice on Jesus Christ. He gives us grace, mercy, and love. And so this angel says to Mary, The grace of God is with you, favored one. The Lord is with you. So we have the grace of God. Titus 2.11, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. We have the grace of God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's the grace of God for us. 
Well, this powerful being says this. Notice what verse 29 says. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The word perplexed actually means agitated. It means bothered. She's upset. She's afraid. She doesn't know what this is because, you know, we talked about how powerful angels are. One angel, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian troops. Angels are very powerful beings. If an angel even made his presence known here, it'd scare all of us. We'd all be afraid. They're powerful beings. When the angel appeared to Zacharias, angel had to say to him, stop being afraid. Angel appears to Mary, and she's agitated. She's scared. She kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. She kept going, what is going on? Who is this? What is this man saying? What, what is happening to me? And what does the angel do? The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Literally, stop being afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. You found the grace of God. See, God shows us all grace through Jesus Christ. But there are times when He chooses human beings and shows grace to them. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham found the grace of God being chosen from all the people in the world to be the head of the Jewish nation. Here is Mary. Out of all of the women in the world, He chooses her. You have found favor with God. Now, when He came to Zacharias, He said, Zacharias, your wife is going to have a baby. You're going to call him John. Watch what he says here. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He gives us everything. He says you're going to be pregnant and have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. You're going to have a child. I guarantee you she's thinking, wait a minute. How am I going to be pregnant? I mean, I'm engaged, but we don't come together until we're actually married, married. So, I mean, how is this going to happen? Not that I don't believe it. I just don't know how it's going to happen. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Jesus means Savior. It's the same name as Joshua. See, the Old Testament Joshua is Yeshua. That's the same name as Jesus. Jesus and Joshua are the same name. You're going to name him Jesus. Jesus means Savior. You're going to name him the Savior of the world because that's what he is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Savior of the world. Well, he gives specific information. Five things we see about Jesus. Look in verse 32. The first one is he will be great. Notice verse 32. And he will be great. You remember what he said about John the Baptist? He said he'll be great in the sight of God. Well, he didn't say that here because he is God. He's going to be great. He is great. He is the greatest one. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. He is the shield. He is the strength. He is the mighty one. He is the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is everything you can name. He is the greatest it's ever been. That's why he is the only Savior. There is no other Savior in this world. There is no other way to get to the, God, to get to the Father except through the Son, Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the greatest. He said he will be great. Great is the Lord and worthy to be praised. There's a second thing. He will be the son of the Most High. Isaiah 9, 6 calls him the mighty God. He'll be the son of God. In fact, he notice it says, and he will be um, called the son of the Most High. She, he wants to make sure she understands. The Most High is another name for God. She, he will be called the son of God. Now, this is an amazing thing. To be called the son of God means he is God. 
That's why when Jesus would talk about it and call himself the Son of David or the Son of Man or the Son of God, they would get all upset because what he's saying is he is God. And this angel is saying, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be great. I'm going to tell you why he's going to be great. He's going to be the Son of God. He's going to be God. You realize that when Jesus Christ walked on this earth as a human being, and we're going to see more about it in just a minute, he's God. He's God. There's a third thing that he says. He will have the throne of his father, David. Notice he'll be great, called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Well, what does that mean? It means he's going to sit on the throne of Israel. David was the king of Israel. There was a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that he would have a son who would sit on the throne forever. This is the promise. It's about to be fulfilled. He will take the throne of his father, David. He will be the king of the Jews. That's why when the wise men came, two years after his birth, we'll, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit. We'll look over at Matthew chapter 2 and 3 when we get in that part. But when the wise men came, they kept saying, where is he that has been born, what? King of the Jews. He's the king of kings. He's the king of the Jews. But not only is he the king of the Jews, he's the king of the whole world. He says he will, he will take the throne of his father, David. There's more. Look at the next one. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, Jacob's other name is Israel. He will rule over the house of Israel. Uh, verse 33 says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, I want you to understand what's powerful about that. He's not going to be a king for a short time. He's not going to be a king for just a thousand years. He's going to be a king forever. He will rule over the house of Israel forever. There will come a day when Jesus Christ will come to this earth. Now, I want you to understand that this is literal truth. Jesus Christ will come to this earth, and he will come to Jerusalem. He will set up a kingdom and a throne, and he will sit on the throne from Jerusalem. He will rule on the earth for a thousand years. He will create a new heavens and earth, and then he will rule on forever and ever. That's what he's talking about. He's the king forever. That's the fifth thing. Watch, notice the fifth thing. His kingdom will have no end. That's what it says. And his kingdom will have no end. He will rule the earth as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Do you realize that Mary is saying, she's saying, you know, I'm going to have a son. He's going to be great. He's going to be the son of God. He's going to take the throne of David. He's going to rule over Israel. And he's going to rule over the whole world forever. She knew right then that her son is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. The one we call Jesus. The one we call Jesus Christ. The one that I hope and pray that every one of us in this room have believed in for eternal life. This is the one we're talking about. This is amazing. Mary would have that son. Now, I want you to see something because it's very powerful. There is a reason that he said what he said. He said he will take the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom will be no end. Hold your place. Turn back to 2 Samuel. Just take your Bible. Go back toward the front to 2 Samuel. It's where we studied uh, when we looked at uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want you to turn back there. It'll just take just a second. Now, while you're turning back there, David, when he was the king, looked out of his window one morning and he saw the tabernacle and he said, you know what? This isn't really fair. I live in a big house. God lives in a tent. I think I'll build, I think I'll build God a big house. 
Nathan the prophet came to David and said, God doesn't want you to build him a house. He's going to do something for you. And here was the promise. Look at verse 12, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. There are three words that stand out. I've got them up here on the board for you. Three words, kingdom, house, and throne. Notice. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you. And notice, and I will establish his, there's the word, kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Those three words stand out. Kingdom, house, throne. Look down at verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever your throne shall be established forever now remember those three words go back to Luke chapter 1 look again at verse 32 and 33 and I have it for you up here that notice those three words are there throne house and kingdom he will be great he'll be called the son of the most high the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the exact fulfillment of the promise given to David years ago. He would have a descendant who would have the house, the throne, and the kingdom. And now Mary is told by the angel that this boy, this son, who is the son of God, will have the house, the throne, and the kingdom. It's powerful. That will be the fulfillment. She is going to be, are you ready for this? She's going to be the mother of the son of God. See, what's, what's going to happen is God's going to become a human being. And we'll talk more about it in just a second. But this is what's so amazing. This is not just a story that you say, well, I read that when I was about four years old because that's the Christmas story. Yes, it is. But it's incredible. See, God had promised. Now, here's something you have to realize. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said, The seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's the promise that the seed of woman is going to come as the Savior. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, you remember when Zacharias was told he was going to have a son? He said, I don't know. How's this going to happen? I'm an old man. How will I know this is going to happen? He was asking for a sign. And so the angel said, You don't believe me? I'll give you a sign. You can't talk. She, that's it. And he couldn't for nine months. Think about that. Couldn't hear her talk for nine months. That's a sign. Now, Mary's not asking for a sign. She's just saying, okay, I believe you. How's this going to happen? Notice the next verse. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? I mean, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, how's this going to happen? She's not doubting. She just doesn't know how it's going to happen. Let me tell you something. She has to be a virgin. Isaiah 7.14 said, The virgin shall have a son. Now, we need to stop and realize that, she mu- that Jesus must be born of a virgin. Why? Okay, listen to this. Romans 5.12 Through one man sin entered the world and death by sin and death passed to all because all sinned. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. When Adam sinned, everyone who has the seed of man passing on down, every human being that's born has the seed of man and because we got the seed of man, we come into this world dead in sin. We come into this world sinners. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. And Romans 5.12 says, As through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin and death Death came to all because all sinned. Anybody born of the seed of man is automatically a sinner. 
Jesus can't be born from Joseph or any man or he'd be a sinner. That's why the promise was the seed of woman. And that's why the promise is the virgin shall bring forth a child. And I want you to understand that when she, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and she's going to have a child and that child is God and man at the same time. We call it the hypostatic union. Let me just show you this. That's a big word that, that means the union of the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus has always existed at a point in time in history. He came into this world, and we're going to see it's the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary producing Jesus, who is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. And he has to be the sinless Perfect Son of God, Son of Man, so that He can die in our place. Because the wages of sin is death. He's got to be perfect. He has no sin. He takes our sin. He's God, so He can pay the sin, die and rise again, giving us eternal life. That's why He has to be born of a virgin. Back in the 1940s and the 1950s, there came a movement in the United States, a movement of what they call liberalism. It started in Germany, went to Europe, and then came into the United States. And there were people who were denying the Bible and denying things. And one of the key things that people talked about, and they said, if you're going to be a fundamentalist, and they meant that in a positive way, you had to believe in the virgin birth of Christ. That was one of the issues. Because if you didn't believe in the virgin birth of Christ, Jesus couldn't be the Son of God and be the Savior. That's why she has to be a virgin. That's why. Notice what happens. This is what's so amazing. She said, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now the angel says, this, is, this, is, this has never happened before and it never happened again. But the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and produce that child. Not the seed of a man, the seed of the woman. Going back to Genesis 3.15, going back to Isaiah 7, has to be the virgin. So it's powerful. Well, he then, he's going to give her a sign. She didn't ask for one, he's going to give her one. Look what it is. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. He says, you remember your cousin or your relative Elizabeth? And she says, oh yeah, she's really old. Well, she's having a baby. She's in her sixth month. And you could see Mary going, whoa, whoa, how is that possible? Because she's too old to have a baby. What does the angel say? Verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. If you think it's impossible for her to have a baby, she's having one. And guess what? You're having the Son of God. Nothing is impossible with God. Let me read this to you in the original language. Listen to this. Verse 37 literally says, everything is not impossible with God. Everything is not impossible. He can do anything. Anything you can dream of, He can do. He can get somebody well that you're praying for. He can have somebody come to know the Lord that you've been praying for. He can do this for you. Anything you can imagine, He can do. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, He'll never violate His character. That means He can't lie. He'll never go back on any promise that He's made. But he can do anything because nothing is impossible with God. Now, look how she responds to this. And Mary said, 
Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She said, okay, I believe you. Just let it happen. Whatever you want, ever how you want to do it, I'm, I believe it. That's what she said. Now you may say, boy, is she lucky or what? No, she wasn't. Have you ever thought about the consequences? Listen to this. She's now pregnant before she's married. And in that day and time, under Mosaic law, you know what they could do to you? You could be stoned. They'd put you to death. So she's going to be pregnant before she's married. The child will always be considered an illegitimate child. Do you realize that? That all the rest of her life, people will look at Mary and say, you know that boy that she had? Yeah, she... Illegitimate. They said that about Jesus. Some of the religious leaders went up to him and said, you were conceived in sin. That's what they said to Jesus. She's going to be scorned. There'll be people who will go, yeah, man, we thought she was a nice girl. How's she going to explain this to people? What will Joseph think? What will other people think? Are you going to go to Joseph and say, angel just came to me and guess what? Holy Spirit's going to make me pregnant and I'm going to have the Son of God. Joseph will go, yeah, right. What happened to you? Do you know what happens? You can't tell it from this passage. We'll see it next week. Do you know as soon as this angel tells her that, she leaves. Verse 39 says, at that time Mary arose and went in a hurry. She's going to see Elizabeth. She's gone for three months. If you're Joseph, you say, hey, where did Mary go? And they say, she left town. We think she went to visit Elizabeth. Three months pass. She comes back after three months. Guess what? She's three months pregnant. You're Joseph. You go, where have you been? I went to see Elizabeth. I don't think so. (laughs) So it wasn't easy doing what she did. But she trusted God. And you know, we have the word of God to trust and to believe. And passage say, I give you eternal life and you'll never perish. And people say, I don't believe that. Believe God's word. Trust him. In the events and circumstances of life, trust him. Notice it says, and the angel departed from her. Mary's been told she's going to have a son by the Holy Spirit who will be the Messiah, who will be the Savior, who will be the King. She has believed God's promise because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Now, I want you to read ahead next week. And a lot of times you know where the next passage is going to be. But we're going to be in verses 39 through about 56 next time. Read that. Because I want you to know that Mary is going to see Elizabeth. And her plan is to tell Elizabeth what's happened. I want you to see if you can notice what happened when she gets there. There's something very unique. I've read it many times and never seen it. Just never thought about it. Maybe you've read it and already thought about it. Read the passage. See what happens when Mary gets to Elizabeth. It's powerful. We've seen the two promises. The promise to Zacharias about a son. Be named John before the Messiah. We've seen the promise to Mary. He's going to have a son. His name's Jesus. He will be the Messiah, the Savior, and the King. Let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Trust God's Word. Trust the Word of God. Rest in God's word. See, nothing's impossible with God. Whenever he makes a promise, whatever he says, it's right. And just remember that. Now, not every promise in the Bible is for us, but when one is for you, you can say, I guarantee it. If God says it, it's going to happen. Hey, as we trust God's word, realize God's grace to us. What a God. 
He's provided salvation by grace. The whole Christian life is grace. The future, the fact he's gone to prepare a place, come back to get us. It's all the grace of God. The second thing, or the B under there, is know the words so we can know the promises. If we're going to be able to live by the Scripture and claim the promises of God and know that whatever he says is right, you're going to have to know it. So you're going to have to study the Word of God so you can know the promises. Number two. Understand the incarnation. Now, the incarnation is where God becomes flesh. You remember John 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then you want John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's called the incarnation, where God took on flesh. Understand the incarnation. Now, I know that, that we're limited in a sense that we say, I can't understand it. I believe it to be true. How could God become a human being? It, it's powerful, but it's true. Under that, just think about the virgin birth. Why is it so important that he had to be born of a virgin? Because if he wasn't born of a virgin, if he was born from a net regular person, from a man and a woman, he would have sin. He couldn't be the Savior. Has to be unique. Has to be the virgin birth. Has to be that special way. B, just realize that he is the God-man. Timothy, Second Timothy says there's only one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. Do you realize that since Jesus is both God and man, 100% God, 100% man, the perfect one, that, that, that hypostatic union deal, he's come. He is the one that can be the go-between between God and man. That's why salvation is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using Jesus, who is that God-man who is able to bring us back. He is the man who is able to pay for our sins. He is God who is able to conquer sin and death and be the one. That's why it's so perfect so understand that it's incredible truth the third thing is understand that jesus fulfills the promise to david see the promise to david would be the house the throne and the kingdom and that his son would be that you realize mary realizes that this baby is the, the fulfillment of the promise to david and he's the king of kings the lord of lords and the messiah and savior she knows it do you know it Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, is the one who came to this earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. He is the King, Savior, and Messiah. And any one of us in this room can have eternal life by faith. I hope and pray that every one of you, I know a lot of you, I hope and pray that every one of you in this room already, if somebody said to you, do you think you'd go to heaven when you die? Do you think you're going to be with God forever? And you'd say, yes, I have eternal life because I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I hope every one of you in that room, in this room, could say that right now. If you can't, right where you're sitting, right now, understand Jesus died for you, paid for your sins, and rose again, and he offers to you as a gift eternal life. And right where you're sitting, you can just say, Lord, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I'm trusting him to get me to heaven. And you'll have eternal life. That's the authority of the word. Well, understand uh, this great truth. Listen. Jesus Christ is the descendant of David, who is the Savior, and one day will rule the world as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we trust God. May we proclaim his word. May we understand that he is the Messiah and the Savior born of the Virgin, who is able to be our sacrifice and substitute. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for this. We know it's a very familiar passage, but, Lord, it's so incredible to see the angel come to Mary and to tell her that she's going to have the son and he will, and he will be, uh, his name will be Jesus, and he'll be great and the son of God, and he'll take the throne and the kingdom and the reign and, and all these things of his father David, Lord. And she believed you because nothing 
is impossible with you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we pray that we'll trust your word. We'll understand your grace. We'll understand how Jesus came as the God-man, born of the virgin. And we'll see how you, Jesus, fulfilled the promise to David. Lord, would you use us as we scatter in this community to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Messiah, the King, the Substitute. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.